Vision Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the entire year. We're going to look back at the goodness of God and then hear a prophetic word for where the Lord's taking us. The rudder in the ship, the wind is in the sails. God gave us two dreams already this year. Both of them said, you're crying out for me to move, and I already am. So catch up to me. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, that's awesome. But, uh, but we don't, we, I don't want to move forward too quickly. I want to be thankful for what God did through this body, in this body, to this body last year. So um, we do a little bit of business and uh, we do a little bit of testimonies. Everybody wants to be part of a church that's making a difference, right? How many of you want to be part of a dead church that has no vision, isn't going anywhere and has never gone anywhere? Or maybe they used to go somewhere and they got shipwrecked and everybody's complaining about it. Raise your hand. If that's the church you want to be a part, you can go to New Hope. It's right down the street. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If Joe heard me say that, he would chuckle. He's one of my best friends. That church is on the move. In fact, we sent our most difficult customers over there because they know how to get people healed and fixed. And I'm kidding. Relax. Uh, so, man, I am so pregnant with this word. God gave me this word uh, in December when I go away on my retreat with him. And, uh, boy, having to hang on to something that long, and I have to hang on to it for a few more minutes because before we look forward, we want to look back. All right, let's do the money uh, because Jesus said where your money is, that's where your heart is. There's a, a direct line. There's a string attached to your heart and your wallet. Well, I learned when I was a businessman here in San Diego before I became a pastor, uh, Jesus taught me that. And he said there's a purpose to prosperity. It's to advance my kingdom, to help people. It's not just to hoard and get stuff for yourself. So that's how he taught me to prosper. So when we started the church, uh, I said to, to Hope, my wife, who's not here today because she's, we got a couple of sick kids at home. Um, I said to Hope, before I ever take a penny of salary, the first 10% of everything that comes into this church will always go to the poor. It will always go to missionaries. It will always go to help people. So over the last... I don't know, eight years or so, we've actually given 20% uh, out. And uh, so you can be proud of that. So let's look at these statistics. Uh, Looking back, how much did we give out last year as a congregation? We gave out 19%. We came under just a few. We didn't know that was a little oversight. It was $92,262 that you guys gave away last year. Now, uh, some of you might be thinking, well, how come I didn't get any of that? Well, look. From God's perspective, that makes him smile. He says, you guys are on the right track. You have my heart. Um, and uh, so, uh, now, now how much did we put into savings? You say, well, is all we do is give, give, give and not be responsible. No. In savings, we right now have $812,000, So about $813,000 that we have in reserve for our own church building and uh, other things God has for us on the horizon. So we're financially healthy and viable. So isn't that great? Amen. I want to thank the board members as well. Can the board members stand up? Because you guys are doing a great job helping us uh, keep our church on track. So uh, Alyssa, stand up. And where's Chris Papava? And uh, is David Smokovich in the house today? And, uh, okay, a couple of the board members out. So thank you. Can we thank these guys for helping us? Amen. Um, Okay, now. Who did we help last year? I mean, specifically, where did that $92,000 go? Well, first is uh, GPC Benevolence Gifts. That is for our own church family, people who were in need. 
Uh, Shelly Cowper-Smith, who is Mark Cowper-Smith's wife. We all still can't figure that one out. Um, uh, he married way over his head. Um, so... Uh, Shelly Calvert Smith, she is our, uh, our, she oversees our missions, our, our local and global missions. And so we support her as a, uh, missionary. Uh, she oversees community food and prayer ministry. That's what we do the third Thursday of every month. Uh, and, and that is, that has prospered so much that the city now called us and said, you guys are more effective than we are. Would you become a, a, an actual official food distribution center for North County, and we have such much more of a need, can you multiply yourself and do this more on the other side of Poway? And so Shelley has expanded that ministry, and now Bob Maddox, who's the pastor of The Connection, is now going to be one of our official food distribution sites in San Diego, uh, North County. And Matthew... Okay, so Matthew and Benita now, this, I love this leadership, this is great. So Shelly now has turned over the original food and prayer in Penasquitas to Matthew and Benita. You guys are now the overseers of that one. And Shelly is now, oh, you didn't know that? Well, you are now. And, and, and Shelly is, uh, this is how we delegate around here. Okay. Uh, you're now over the children's ministry. And, uh, and uh, Shelly is going to go uh, open up that other center. Uh, also, uh, the North County uh, Fund is uh, we help families all over North County. It's a ministry called North County Fund. RB Baptist Church, that's the only church building that got burnt by the fires, and we gave them $5,000 to help restore their building. Uh, Braxis High School is for kids that are, uh, mm, kids that are uh, having a very difficult time in the school system, and we um, support them and give them gifts every year. K-Love Radio, you might say, well, what's that about? That's my personal project. I lived here for 20 years without a, a, a contemporary Christian radio station. That's just brutal. No, they do it. They do it. That's true. They do a great job. They're great music, good encouragement. We want to keep them on the air. Operation Christmas Child going out globally. Um, we support Operation Christmas Child. Um, I believe, uh, Mark, you, uh, headed that one up, right? Is Mark? Yeah, Mark right here. Mark, thank you for that. That was a great prize. That was a shoebox deal, right? That was great. Can we thank Mark for, for uh, initiating that? We love to uh, we love to release we love to release ministries in this church. So Mark came to the church and we, he was just visiting, and uh, he he we went out to lunch and he just gave me the third degree about missions. He has a heart for missions. What are you doing for missions? How many people in your church? What's the percentage of people in your church that are actively involved in missions? And I was like, I don't know. I thought we lost them, you know, because the pastor had no idea. And so basically we said, well, why don't you do it? I mean, it's on your heart. So he said, great. So he initiated that whole thing and led it. And it was a great project. And, and uh, so now you're with the children's ministry. Okay. That's your reward. Yeah, it's your reward. Compassion International. We sponsor two children that would not have been educated or clothed or fed if it wasn't for us. Gifts to help young people go on missions trips. We gave the GPC missions trips going to Mexico, uh, which I'll be going down at the end of... Um, uh, well, I'll tell you that in a moment. Uh, and we went to Ethiopia, uh, Church Asia. Uh, that's Rick and Beverly Zachary in India and Nepal. We also support Douglas, uh, Douglas and Linda Zillowiger in Russia. Acres of Love, that is for um, children with AIDS and children who are orphaned because their parents had AIDS. Uh, Hope for the Nations, they're all over the world. We support them. Michael uh, Huff family in Nepal. That's uh, Cecilia and uh, Cecilia our children's pastor as her brother in Nepal, Philip and Renee Murdoch in Brazil. Um, he's planted over 250 churches in the interior of Brazil. 
Uh, I just got an email from him this morning, and he'll be here in February, so we may have him preach. He's really strong. Uh, Frontiers Missions is an organization that goes uh, strictly to the Muslim world. They can't even tell you where most of their missionaries are because it would endanger their lives for that to be revealed. Uh, Stephanie DeMink, who works at E3 here in RB, she's taken trips, uh, teams from this church to uh, India as well as the Ethiopia. Uh, Scott and Leslie Freeman, uh, he's the one that had the ACL healed. He was going to uh, uh, be... Um, and with UI way I'm training, uh, work with kids at risk, kids that are on the street, kids that are in child prostitution, that kind of thing. And a uh, member of our congregation, he ripped his ACL in half. We have the MRI showing it was balled up on both sides of his knee. He was cooked, done. They said, you're going to have an operation, nine months of recovery. It was going to abort his plans to go down. He and Leslie to, to uh, open up an outpost to help kids in Costa Rica. We prayed over him here at this church. Tuesday, he went into surgery. I got a, a phone call. He was, they were wheeling him out of surgery, and the phone call was, they opened up my knee, and they have no idea what happened, but my ACL is perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah great. And uh, the doctor's confused. We have a, a picture of the before and after. And uh, did you get that? They didn't operate. Did I make that clear? Okay, they opened it up. They didn't understand. And uh, so we, they're down in Costa Rica. Uh, Mario Hernandez is our sister church in Mexico. Um, I oversee, we oversee, I'm sorry, over uh, 50 churches down in Mexico. I'll be headed down there for the National Convention at the uh, last Sunday of this month. Mario is uh, the secretary of that organization, and uh, he oversees a, uh, our sister church in Tijuana, and we've planted two other churches in Mexico uh, through him. Tim and Phoebe Wong in China, that's not the real names. Again, if they give out the real names, they would be um, put in prison if they're found. They oversee hundreds of thousands of Chinese believers in the underground church, and we support them. Now let's bring it back home. How many people joined our church family last year? We had 34 people go through our membership class and call the Gathering Place Church their home. Amen. Can we welcome them? It's awesome. And uh, and the the fruit, if we can say, what is the fruit of a local church? How do you know a local church is really making a difference? And the way we like to say it is real simple. Changed lives. People's lives have been impacted positively by being part of the Gathering Place Church. And so I'd like to hear from a few of those people. Would you like to hear some testimonies today from folks that joined our church? Okay, I'm going to call you all down. Come down uh, all at the same time. And you've got to make it quick because I saw the word of the Lord i got to give, get to give. And so um, come on down quickly. Vanessa, Mark and Noel, Al and Lorraine Mason, uh, Augie and uh, Beth, Annie Rossmiller, uh, Nick's out, Jackie. You want to come down without Nick? Uh, Tiffany and uh, Les and Donette. Come on down. Come on. You guys, you guys are the proof in the pudding. All the labors. All right. Here we go. Let's go with Vanessa. Vanessa. Okay. Uh, it, it, you know what? I think, I think my voice is so loud that it... It sounds on when it's off. Um, well, I haven't actually gone through membership class yet. All right, great. Nikki. <laughs> Mark. Mark Wallace. You told me to have her come up and speak. This is like yesterday. Mark says, Vanessa has really been touched. And I said, oh, that's great. I did not know she wasn't an actual member. This is like yesterday at the Vision Breakfast, which was great, the uh, volunteers' breakfast. Mark put all of his books out 
you know, to give away from the BMV uh, library, the, the previous church he was the pastor of. And my wife walks up and says, I don't think we ought to put this out, Mark. You know what the title of the book was? How to Start a House Church. <laughs> not that I'm against house churches. It's just not necessarily what we're trying to promote here today. So I'm playing with you. We want to hear your testimony. So glad you're here. Well, my family came down in 97 to plant Black Mountain Vineyard. Um, so anyway, and that was a wonderful season. Um, and I actually was on staff as women's and youth pastor. Um, it was great. It was awesome. I loved it. I felt like it was what I was made for. And after a season, um, the enemy got in there and stirred up, stirred things up, and I was betrayed by my best friends. And my family and I lost um, our church, my job, and uh, everything in one day. So um, from that day, I've been very leery of church involvement. Um, and Mark and Noel became the pastors of that church um, sometime later. And they um, actually reached out about, I don't know, a year ago and um, stood in the gap. And, and this is so important as we talk about forgiveness and going forward. They stood in the gap and they said, we're sorry for what happened. And that began a real healing process in my life. And then we merged with your guys' church. And I thought, okay, Lord, you know. I'm going to go and stick my foot in the water here, and I'll go one Sunday. And it was the Sunday that Mark, um, that you got up and you introduced Mark, and who said, and he said, who knows that Mark has a prophetic gift? And Mark was a former vineyard pastor, and, um, and he's just, you know, healed and on fire. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit hit me, and I just started. I mean, saying, this Mark, Mark Halbersmith. Yeah. Okay. Because well, you're also Mark. Yeah, yeah sorry. Okay, Too it. many Marks. Yeah. He's Ma. Mark. Oh, that's right, you're Ma. He's Ma. <laughs> so as Mark was talking, the Holy Spirit just fell on me, and I began to weep. And I said, if there's hope, if there's hope for that broken vineyard pastor, there's hope for this broken ex-vineyard pastor. And every Sunday I came, I just wept during worship, wept, 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 and the Lord has begun to heal my heart and... I feel like I'm not holding my breath anymore. And I actually said last week, I'm going to go for the class to become a member. There it is. Good morning. Um, when, I, when Nick and I first got married, we were living in Orange County, and we became members of a vineyard. I had grown up Presbyterian, so it was a little bit of a change. Um, and we were there for about two years, and Nick got a new job in San Diego, so we moved. And I was a little timid. I wasn't sure if we'd ever be able to find a church where I could grow spiritually the way we had grown before, um, making new friends. Our last church had felt like family. Um, and then we found this church on the Internet through Nick's mom, actually, back in England. And the first Sunday that we came to visit, you guys were in the park. And um, there was folk music playing. Um, folk music. <laughs> it was. Um, <laughs> no, I mean it was. <laughs> it was brilliant, but I was wondering. That was a spontaneous confession, man. That that makes it real. But it was. Um, I wasn't quite sure what we were in for, but. <laughs> Let me finish. So um, <laughs> Pastor John had come up to me and introduced himself. And from the moment that we started to meet people within the church, it just felt like family, literally within one Sunday. 
And that one Sunday turned into two and then into three. And I honestly have to say the first thing that really struck me about this church was authenticity. I felt like we could come just as we were, no matter what we were going through in in the week. We could be honest and we could be real and people were willing to pray for us and to stay after. They weren't in a hurry. And as a result of people being willing to pray for us, a lot of things began to change in our life for the better. Um, I was re- I was able to receive my prayer language, which was amazing. Um, and just a lot of things within our marriage. I've, I've seen Nick grow as a husband. Um, personally, I've been able to develop friendships. And while there's a lot of great things about this church, the, the music is wonderful, by the way. Really enjoy it. Um, I feel like it's on fire every week. But there's a lot of joy in this church, in these people. And one thing specifically that really touched me is how there's a heart for the community. We don't just say that we love other people, but we truly do that. And with our finances, with the way that we reach out to other people. Um, and that's really struck me when I talk to my friends who don't know the Lord. I tell them about the things we're doing in the community and the things that we do around the world in Ethiopia. Um, and they're really touched by that because we're putting our actions behind our words and what we believe in. So I just wanted to let you feel encouraged um, and to continue to reach out to people that you see that are new, that are here, because that meant a lot to me when I was first here. So if you see someone new, um, just invite them, make them feel welcome. And I just want to thank you for feeling like family. Um, we feel so welcome here, and we're really glad to be a part of the church here. Amen. That's great. Here's what we're going to do. First of all, uh, James, he was running down the aisle to give his life to Jesus, and you grabbed him and pulled him out. Her, I'm sorry. You better go get her. There she goes. This is what I'm going to do. You guys are next week, so you can have a seat because this is going to take up. Uh, this is critical and it's important. Are you going to be here next week, Annie? You're not offended right now, are you? I see that you're going like this. And all right. you're nervous. All right, okay. We'll get, we got you guys next week. So you guys, that means you have to come to church. All right, great, Mark. I mean, this is rich, and I don't want to rush it. So, do next week. So uh, for those of you who have known me for a few years, uh, and those of you who don't know me so well might not realise this about me, but one of my great struggles in life has, uh, has been this battle against self-esteem issues. Uh, it's been a significant uh, issue in my life. And uh, one of the, the first series that we started on uh, when Noel and I showed up here at the end of May last year was uh, Living in Spiritual Confidence. And, and right away I thought, hmm, maybe this is the right place for us, uh, because I, I know that this has been a constant battle for me, and uh, I've tried a lot of different ways to deal with that. And so I, I was excited about the series, and I learned a lot, and I, I felt like there was a lot of, a lot of transformation going internally, but I, I didn't really see it come out on the surface uh, at all. And so I thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder what's going on here. And then uh, a few months later, John asked me to get up and preach. Uh, which I did, uh, and um, and as often happens uh, afterwards, I uh, I do a little check with my wife. How did I do? Uh, you, my, so for some people that might be a dangerous thing, but my wife is, is really an encouraging lady, uh, and uh, so uh, and so she often uh, she often uh, gives me some some strong encouragement, and then every now and again. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of correction there, and and but she's heard me preach hundreds of times. You need to understand this, guys. And she said to me, you were so confident. You were so confident. I, I've just never seen you that confident up the front before. Uh, and I realised, like, just as soon as she said it, I realised that, that that series that, that John and, and others had, had spoken about, uh, spoken into, had actually done something in me. 
And it's not like I haven't gone after this, but I realised in that moment that God had actually done something in me and I was just very excited. So thank you. Wow, that's a great testimony. Well, good morning. Um, I came to the Lord here in San Diego when I was about eight years old in a little Pentecostal church. And my my mom passed away when I was 14, so that season of, of... my life was over. I bounced around through Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches, Catholic churches, all manner of churches, and never found that same satisfaction. And the missing piece was always just allowing God to be God, to let the Spirit flow, not putting Him in some preconceived box. And that's what God has to be. But... Um, uh, some some years ago, we were in a position where we had been through a really difficult and painful experience with a very small independent church. And um, once that experience ended, I kind of uh, wandered through the desert for a while, trying to, you know, asking, Lord, where do I find what I'm looking for? And through going to different classes and different different searchings, I came to... Uh, a Messianic Jewish synagogue, which I'm madly in love with. I still attend after 13 years. But during that time, my family began to attend uh, Vineyard about four or five years later. And I really wanted to be sure that they were being properly fed spiritually. So I went to see what it was all about. And um, Pastor Jackson was there at that time. And Um, He was very much like um, Rabbi. He was very much um, into history. And I loved his historical, um, uh, uh, the way he dealt with things from a historical perspective. And um, he felt the Lord was calling him in a different direction. And uh, Pastor Mark came along. And um, sad to say a lot of people didn't give it a chance, didn't see, you know, what what the changes would be all about. But my family felt that he deserved that chance and that opportunity to see what direction it was going to go. And we loved him. We love his wife. We love his family. And But for whatever reason, um, and I think only God knows, the church was not growing. It was becoming smaller and smaller. And for anything to survive, it has to grow to a certain extent. And we were, just weren't getting that growth. But for a, the small body that it was, we were bearing a tremendous amount of fruit, both within the church body and within the community. But when Mark decided, I think at the Lord's direction, that it was time to let go, and I thought, oh, great, what are we going to do now? I don't want to have to find another church. I don't want to go through this again. And... Um, He gave us the invitation, this is where we're going, and you're welcome to come. We think it's a good fit. So we figured, well, may as well go see what it's all about. And I think this is where I found the missing piece, Hmm. where you allow God to be God and you allow the Spirit to flow. And um, it's, it's just been a wonderful experience. When we came, people were so warm and welcoming and um just kind of, you know, grabbed us into things quick so we didn't have time to think about it. And uh, but it, it, There's a lot it's, to do. It's, <laughs> it's been a wonderful experience. That's awesome. Thank you, Lorraine. 
Now, I just have to say that you really freaked my kids out because uh, during Christmas, that Sunday, you had your beard fuller and you're wearing that Santa Claus hat. And Lily really thought Santa Claus had come to church. Don't, don't, don't let him think he didn't. It was precious. Okay, well, I thank my brothers and sisters here in this church for the welcoming that we got when we came here. That melted my heart. Uh, I think most of you know now that I was a Vietnam. And I, uh, I came back not believing that there was a God. And what you see standing before you now is a walking, talking miracle. Mm. God brought me not only back to the United States, but he brought me back to himself. Mm. Uh, it took him quite a few years, but he got me. And uh, uh, I can't think of a better place to be. Uh, John, you can sit down. I've got the rest ah. of this. <laughs> We don't need another joker in this church. Believe you me. I've got my hands full. <laughs> uh, and then uh, kind of the coup de grace was when I wore my uniform in that I'd worn in Vietnam. And I had more people come up to me and say thank you and welcome home mm-hmm. than I'd had do that since I came back in 1967. Wow. When that happened... I knew this was the church I had to be in. Wow. And since I, I've left churches because I wasn't being fed. I was born and raised a Catholic. I was not being fed in that church, and I wanted to know more about God. So I left it. And we started attending Black Mountain. We were being uh, fed there. And then uh, Jackson left, and Mark took over, still being fed. Went to Mark's house. We were being fed there. And then Mark closed it down. I'm going, oh, Lord, please don't make us find another church. So Mark uh, said, I, I, I think I found a church that we, you might like. So we came down here and I heard that praise and worship. And all of the welcoming handshakes and hugs and so on. This was my church. Mm. I was accepted as a member of the family. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Amen. All right. Well. Now, let's see if I can feed you. So grab a seat and let's roll. Amen. Okay. Well, the clock is ticking, and uh, I'm not going to rush this. We have next Sunday, too, right? So let's dive in here, and let's hear the word of the Lord for today, for this year, and then we'll pick it up again next Sunday and continue on. So will you open your ears and your eyes on the way to church today? The Lord spoke to my heart and said, tell them I am going to open their ears. Every December I go away to be with the Lord so I can hear what he has to say. I don't come up with New Year's resolutions. I don't come up with New Year uh, catchy phrases. I don't come up with vision. When he called me to be a senior pastor, I was shaking in my boots. I said, Lord, I'm not a visionary. I said, I like to implement other people's visions. I'm, you know, um, I, I like to uh, implement. And he said, well, you're still the implementer. I'm the visionary. <laughs> I said, I can do that. So I listen to him the best I can, and then I say what he is saying, and I try to do what he is doing and follow him. So in December, um, I went to be alone with the Lord, and clearly on my prayer retreat, 
he said to me, I said, what is your vision for 2010? And he very clearly said, hearing my voice. And it wasn't for me alone. It was for us. And this is very unique because every year up to this year, he has always given me a specific word. And I stand there and say, thus saith the Lord. This is where we're headed after I've checked with the elders and the leadership team. And every year it's resonated with them or God had already been speaking the same word to them. So I do it in a multitude of counselors and uh, because you can hear inaccurately. And so we usually distill it down and find exactly what the Lord is saying. Sometimes it's a process. And so hearing God's voice is clearly the word of the Lord. But what's unique about it is it's not a word that uh, he's given to me saying this is the year of restoration. This is the year of harvest. This is year of prosperity. This year is so unique because he's saying this is the year that my people will hear my voice, which tells me you are going to get God's vision for your life this year from him directly. Now, how powerful is that? You see, that is truly where revival comes from, is when you hear from the Lord for yourself. So we're going to be teaching on how to hear the voice of the Lord for a while to come now. Uh, A great illustration of this is in John chapter 4. We're not going to look at that today. But in John chapter 4, Jesus comes to this woman who seemed to be unqualified to hear the voice of God uh, based on her lifestyle. But Jesus does not look at that. He knows his voice will turn somebody's lifestyle around. So he speaks to her. She runs into town and says, come meet a man who knows everything I've ever done. And she wasn't afraid of him by that knowledge. She had been touched by him with love and mercy and compassion and acceptance like she never had before. All the guys from the town come out and they're listening to Jesus. They said, please stay with us for two days. He did. Then after two days of talking with Jesus and hearing him, the men of the town looked at the woman and said, we believed in him first because we heard it from you. But now we believe because we heard him for ourselves. You see, that's where the power comes from. And here's what I want to say to you today in opening up this series on hearing God's voice is you can hear the voice of God. It's not only a it's not only possible, it's an actual promise. Look, look at this verse with me. Jesus said this. My sheep say this out loud with me. This is our clarion call. Ready? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they shall follow me. Last Sunday we talked about if you have started your New Year's resolutions and the first thing on the top of your list is not following Jesus, you need to erase it, throw it away, start with a clean slate. Jesus said, come, follow me. Well, the way we know where he's headed is if we hear his voice. And he says, come, go this way, go that way, do this, do that. And that is how we know we are living life accurately and on purpose and with a purpose. We'll end our lives in our destiny, not derailed. God knows our future. Will you say this with me? I can hear the voice of God. Will you say that? I can hear the voice of God. Now say it again. I can hear the voice of God. Now Satan will tell you, you cannot. Who do you think you are? You're not qualified. You thought you heard it once before and you were wrong. So don't try that again. Say it with me again. I can hear the voice of God. Jesus said it. My sheep hear my voice. And and I know them. And they follow me. Now, next week, I'm going to talk to you about preparing your heart to hear the voice of the Lord. That's one of the reasons why we're going to start a fast this Wednesday night. 
This Wednesday evening at our corporate prayer time, which we pray every Wednesday night from 7 to 8. I didn't send out an email. We took a break for a couple of weeks for the holidays. I didn't send an email out to the group. I don't even have a group email for these wild people. They just show up. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I didn't let them know. It's, you know, the Christmas, the New Year's. It's been a couple of weeks. We haven't prayed together. I didn't send out an email saying when we're going to start. I thought, well, if we have six or seven people show up, you know, it'll be powerful. It always is. It's a dynamic prayer meeting. And uh, I show up. We had more people, higher attendance than we've ever had. These people just showed up. It's just incredible. And, uh, man, I, like Gary was saying, it took about two seconds. Boom. We were just off and crawl, calling out to God. That, that prayer meeting really is the boiler room to the, this ministry. And we invite you to come Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. This Wednesday night, in particular, we're going to launch our fast from that boiler room. It's an E3 uh, missions office, NRB. It's in your bulletin. It's on the website. And then we are going to fast for 10 days. And uh, <clears throat> you can fast whatever you want to fast. It's got to be food, though. I mean, I don't see any biblical precedent for fasting TV and fasting things. A biblical fast is food because God is your sustenance. God will sustain you. And so it's good to fast these other things. But when we, when we say a biblical fast, what we're talking about is we are setting food aside and saying, God, you're my source. Now, how much food? That's up to you. Whether you miss a meal a day or you fast for the full 10 days, whether it's water. Uh, Mark likes to do milkshake fasts. Um, whatever which I still find suspect, but whatever, you know, whether you do a vegetable fast like Daniel did a, Daniel did a, uh, um, a modified fast, you know, there's sometimes they even had their cows and a fast, you know, no water, no food at all for three days. Sometimes it's water, no food. Sometimes it's vegetables. Sometimes you miss a meal a day. Okay. There's no legalism here. There's no bondage. Just whatever for 10 days you're going to do. Let's fast together. If you're afraid, don't be afraid. God is your God. He will sustain you. Break loose, break free, go to the next level. Amen? Amen. So I may say a little more about that, but I want to get into the word of the Lord today because it's important. Then we're going to end that fast. I told you I might say more about it. We're going to end that fast on uh, 10 days later on a Saturday, Saturday the 23rd in the evening uh, at the same location. We're going to launch the fast and we're going to do an all day from nine to four. You can come in and out. And uh, stay as long as you want. And we're going to end with communion and break the fast with celebration and come here on the 24th of January and just watch God just blow the roof off this place. Every time we do a corporate fast like this and end in corporate prayer, the next day is just so powerful. Not to set anything up. Uh, I, you know, I never, I, I, I always find it curious, that, that's a polite word, when people advertise revival. I'm like, well, how do you know? I don't want to advertise revival until it's happening. Then you can say there's revival. But to say we're going to have a revival in six months from this day to that day and have big banners made, I'm like, wow, that's quite presumptuous. So that means you have to shout loud and have a lot of music to say revival happened. I would like to see God move, and then we can say, hey, guess what's happening? Amen. Anyway, that was just a little something. So let's go to 1 Kings, because this is what the Lord gave to me on my prayer retreat for us about hearing His voice. And first Kings, ah, I got to do something else. There's so much going on. Yesterday at the, at the, uh, the volunteer breakfast, we had a great day. If you're volunteering in this church, you weren't there. We missed you and you really missed on something special. The, the volunteer breakfast, we honor you and we inspire you. It was a great day. What we also do at the uh, volunteer breakfast, those who 
serve in the local church here. Volunteerism is in the kingdom in many ways. But those who actually volunteer here in your local church to make it a well-run, spiritually alive local church, we like to honor. And we always pick out those who had a tough year in life or ministry and they didn't quit. And we call those the giant killers or those who really went above and beyond. And uh, so we gave those out yesterday, but there are two people who were not there that we want to honor today. One is Daryl Petch. Is Daryl in the house today? I saw I saw you a little earlier. Daryl, are you here? Come on down, brother. Daryl Petch. Amen. Okay, Daryl, this is going to sound really mean, but this is a $50 gift card to a number of restaurants. And we're going to start a fast in a couple of days. So... What Daryl did, Daryl came to me and said, you know those door hangers you're going to do to let people know we're in Penasquitas? Would you print an extra 13,000 of those? Because I want to knock on every door in Penasquitas and say, there's a great church in your neighborhood. you got to come. And he's been doing that. He did it all year last year. He developed a team in this church. And any of you want to join him, we're still knocking on doors. And uh, I love people who just are self-initiated and say, I think this is a great church. I want to do something about it. And they do something about it. And to go knocking on every door in Penasquitas and say, you need to come check out this church is a remarkable thing. I just want to thank you, and we all thank you. Thank you, brother. And then this last Giant Killer Award goes to someone who uh, has gone through the John Ator gauntlet. And that is when you work with John, uh, you better be ready to shoot from the hip. And uh, have no other plans in your life, but uh, be ready to be there when I say I need something. And uh, now that's actually abusive leadership, and that's why she's getting this. And so I'm going to ask Marsha, if you'll come on down. You are our John Killer Award recipient. She does uh, all the PowerPoints. Uh, I shoot her my, my, my sermons sometimes at uh, midnight on Saturday night. And then ask her why it wasn't ready on Sunday morning, which it always is. But uh, no, she has really done a great job this year, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Marcia. Okay, now I'm in serious trouble, aren't I, Gary? With the time. All right. This word is so strong, and it's going to connect with many of you that um, I just have no intention on rushing it, but we certainly have to nail it. Let's go to the book of 1 Kings, and uh, we're going to start in chapter 18. We're going to go through 19. And uh, let's read this. Starting in verse 46 of 1 Kings chapter 18. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah... And he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That was a supernatural encounter. The Spirit of God comes upon the prophet and he outruns a chariot. He had just called fire down on 450 prophets of Baal. He called on the God who answers by fire. Started revival in Israel. Spirit of God used him in one of the mightiest ways that he's ever used anybody on earth. The next thing that happens. And Ahab told Jezebel. Ahab was the king. Jezebel was his wife. All that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying. So let the gods do to me and more so if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. 
Now you would think that he would stand up and say, bring it. But something happened that was ungodly that derailed this prophet's ministry. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And came and sat down under a broom tree. That's my translation. That's a very interesting word picture. A broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, or I am no better than my father's. In other words, I'm done. I've done enough. I've served you enough. And I'm ready to die. Here's a guy that was peaking. Here's a guy that was at the top of his ministry. Here's a guy that's on a spiritual high, walking with God like few have ever done before. Public display of, the, of a, an invasion, an encounter with God that created revival. And the next day, he, something entered him. Something happened to him that took the spiritual life right out of him and depression and disillusionment. And hopelessness entered his spirit and he's praying that his life could be over. And he's telling God, I'm done. I've run my course. I've served you long enough. Let it be over. Please kill me. I want to come home. What about you? Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. I think many of you might be, because this is the word God's given to me. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. I'm doing my best to read this without teaching because there's so much to cover. But it's so precious and so wonderful the way that God restores this old prophet. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake of baked, uh, uh, was a cake baked on coals, and a jar of water. <laughs> I just want to say this, this is in my notes, but I just have to say it. If you think, if you hear the voice of God and it's always shaming and condemning, and why aren't you doing more and trying harder, and you're really screwed up, you're not hearing the voice of God. Amen. You're hearing the voice of your dad or your mom, or your uncle, whoever raised you, or your ex-husband, or your ex-wife, or your teacher, or some professors, whoever it was in your life that was an authority figure, if you feel like when you hear the voice of God, it's condemning and shaming, it is not the voice of God. Amen. Here's a guy that's out of order, he's out of place, he's disillusioned, he's running away, he's filled with fear, he's, he's, wanting to, he's suicidal, and what's God do? He makes him dinner. How tender, how precious. He's restoring him. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And God said, what are you doing sleeping again? Don't you know the book of Proverbs says that a lazy man will come to ruin? Isn't this just beautiful? God's... Gosh, we all feel like we fail God so often. And here's this guy, here's this guy that is just an embarrassment. 
to say the least, running from a woman. Hiding in the desert. Supposed to be leading Israel in revival and he's asking God to kill him. And what does God do? Shakes him and sends an angel, not to rebuke him, to shake him and wake him up and say, here, you need, you need to eat. Here, I'll cook for you. And then he lets him take a nap. And he wakes him up again. And the, angels, and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. Isn't that powerful? As far as the Horeb, the mountain of God. Isn't this interesting? A couple things. One, the prophet ran into the desert to die. And God redirected him to the mountain of God. God is saying, I want you to come be with me. And the fast that we are launching on here, he gave them food that lasted them 40 days and 40 nights. Let me say this about the fast. God is not impressed with suffering. That's not what fasting is about. God was impressed with Jesus' suffering on the cross. There's a uh, passage in the book of Isaiah, and God spoke to me, and it just changed my fasting life forever. God said, is this the fast that I've chosen, that you go around mourning and act like you're going to die? He said, that's not the fast I've chosen. Is it the fast I've chosen for man to afflict his soul? That's the day, that's the moment God revealed to me, I'm not impressed with your hunger. He said, the fast I've chosen is to break the slaves of wickedness and the yoke off of you, to let the oppressed go free. He said, this is the fast I've chosen, the one that causes your light to break forth like the, like the noonday. You see, that I will refresh you like a garden. He said, this is the fast I've chosen. And that hit me and I realized that I was fasting religiously as though I was impressing God. And if I'm suffering, I'm hungry, that impresses God. No, that's a religious spirit that says what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. Fasting is about drawing near to God. And see what I said to him? I said, oh, okay. Then I'm asking you to sustain me when I fast so I don't have to deal with hunger. And do you know the next fast that day did was a 10-day fast, and I did not have one hunger pain? Now, I'm not saying that to set you up that if you have hunger pains, you're not spiritual. And there have been times when I've had some hunger, but it has never been. Like, now, I don't like fasting. This fast we're about to do, I don't even like the idea. I don't. I mean, if you like fasting, you like not eating, you are weird. Really. I mean, you're human. We want to eat. Your body says it wants to eat. That's like saying, I don't like to sleep either. And I don't like going to movies. And I don't like, you know, playing. I don't like laughing. You know, food is just like one of the joys of life. In fact, listen to me. The Bible has much about feasting as it does fasting. You're not more spiritual when you fast if it's time to feast. Let me tell you this. One time I was taking my staff up into uh, the, our annual retreat for a couple of days. We ran out of bed and breakfast and and uh, we were going to spend, you know, a few days together. And my plan was to fast and to start with worship and then to do some intercession and wake up the next day and worship some more and then get it. And I just felt this check in my spirit. And I thought, well, the leadership's going up to the mountain of God. We're going to seek God. And I just got this check in my spirit. And then the Lord quoted a, a, a passage to me in the Bible. And I went to look it up. 
And it was the passage where King Saul said, if anybody eats before we kill all the enemy in this battle, they have to die. Well, his son Jonathan had not heard that mandate from his dad, King Saul, and he got his staff and he got some honey out of a tree and he ate it. And all the guys said, oh, didn't you hear what your dad said? Anybody who eats before we kill all the enemy will die. And he said, what are you talking about? Look at my countenance. It's bright. You look like you're, you know, death warmed over. How about if, if everybody ate like me, we could be pursuing these enemy as long as we want to. That's, that's not right. And uh, Saul was going to kill him. And all the men said, you kill him, we're going to kill you. Don't touch him. So anyway, that's how that ended. So I said, Lord, what is this? The Lord said... The Lord said to me, your staff's been working all year long. Don't make them go in the mountains and not eat. They've been busting it harder than anybody. Here's the assignment. Go up there and tell them they can eat as much as they want and partay. And so we did. We went up and uh, I said, here's the word of the Lord. We're going to go out to a restaurant and we're going to eat and we're going to eat and we're going to eat and we're going to eat. My mistake was going to the restroom while we hadn't ordered yet and Mark took over. I got back, there were two of every appetizer on the menu on the table, and we had just begun. He knew that was the word of the Lord. And, uh, and, uh, and then we played games and had fun. And the last day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me for the word, and it was an inspirational word, and it was great. And, and uh, So there are times for feastings. And uh, I wish this was one of those times, but it's not. It's a time for fasting. And so, But listen, when you fast... You know, look at this. The angel fed him and he went in that power of that for 40 days. So when you fast, ask God when you start to fast. First of all, rebuke the spirit of fear. You're not going to die. You will eat again. And it's also not manipulation. I heard one person on our campus here tell their child when we started to fast, well, we're not going to fast because we don't manipulate God. Well, I mean, like you could manipulate God. Like that would even be possible. That means Jesus manipulated him, Paul manipulated him, Nehemiah manipulated him, Ezra manipulated him, Elijah manipulated No, fasting draws us near to God and it brings spiritual breakthrough like few things can. It's about us partnering with God to bring heaven on earth. It's about us setting ourselves aside and say we are your vessels. You are our source, O oh God. That's what fasting is. It's your flesh that makes you say things like that so you don't have to fast. But if you're spiritually hungry and you want more of God and you want to see God move and you want to know him and be intimate with him and you want to see God's desires come to pass, then say, I am going to dedicate myself, set myself apart. I'm going to do this thing with God. Start small. I remember when I could not make it past five o'clock and I felt all condemned about it. I'd fast lunch and breakfast by five o'clock. My gosh, I thought I was going to die and I couldn't make it past that. So it was a discipline and eventually... I was able to expand until, you know, you know, I can fast two or three days and it's really not a big deal. You know, uh, I, I can't just do water past four days because my legs start cramping up and I lose minerals. I don't know what that's about. So, you know, I modify. I do different things. And sometimes it's just a juice fast. But anyway, the fast starting this Wednesday night is about seeking God. And here it says that he went in that fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And he went into a cave. And spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. As though God didn't know all that. 
Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, this is interesting because the Lord was just in the fire 40 days earlier. You see, and so Elijah's paradigm was when I walk with God, it's all got to be signs and wonders. And God says, I can bring a wind and split rocks, but it might not be what I'm doing at the moment, Elijah. I can make I can bring fire like I did 40 days ago, but it's not what I'm doing right now, Elijah, because it's not what you need. He knew what the prophet needed right then. It wasn't more dynamic outward expression of the manifest power of God. It was this next phrase. And after the fire, a whispering, delicate, small voice. Now watch what Elijah does. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. The wind splitting rocks didn't cause Elijah to do this. The fire didn't cause him to do this. The earthquake didn't even cause him to go, whoa! All three of those things happened, but they didn't move Elijah because God wasn't in it. But when God whispers, if God's in the voice, it will cause you to quake and shake. Elijah, whoa! He knew Elijah needed to be touched on the inside, not on the outside. Now, I heard a sermon on the radio a few, day, a few weeks ago from a brother in our own city, and he was shouting in this passage saying, Don't seek God in the supernatural. Don't seek God in the dynamic. I, I hate it. One of my pet peeves is when we dismantle one truth to emphasize another truth. Because the reality is, if Elijah did not seek God in the dynamic and supernatural 40 days earlier then he couldn't have called fire from heaven and, and destroyed all the satanic prophets and brought revival. And a few days after this encounter, he called fire down from heaven again. So the key is to find out what is God doing now. And Elijah didn't know. He was confused, he was depressed, he was suicidal, and he had lost all hope. And God knew that he needed the whispering voice. Some of you need that right now. Some of you need this very thing. And what did it do to Elijah? Now, this was supposed to be my message today, and we're about to close. We'll pick it up next week. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. He's saying the same thing. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nish." Nimshi as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat as, uh, of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. He's not saying I'm replacing you. He's just saying the game's still on and there's going to be a second generation that inherits your anointing. 
and will do twice as much as you did. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will kill. Elisha. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and was with them, was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, which is the transferring of the miraculous anointing of God. Today, I wanted to talk to you, not about preparing your heart to hear the voice of the Lord, but the power of his voice. And so let me just say this first point without developing it because we're out of time here. But it's very important that I give you this first point because I believe it's where many of you are. The first thing the voice of God did to and for Elijah was to renew his vision and restore his hope. Many of you need your hope restored. And what's going to do it is not New Year resolutions, not trying harder. That hasn't worked. And it's not the spirit of self-pity and woe is me. And it's not looking back. It's hearing the voice of God and saying, what do you want me to do now, Lord? Isn't it interesting that the way that God restored Elijah's hope was to give him something to do? He gives him his victimized, martyr, I alone and left, I'm depressed, everybody's forsaking but me, speech, everything I've tried hasn't worked, speech, I'm tired, I'm depressed, I'm done, it's enough speech. How does God restore his hope? He says, go, I have an assignment for you. God's not looking back. He's got things to do. That's how you restore the call of God in your life. I was taught this years ago and it's so true. Jesus is in Gethsemane. He wanted to quit. He was under such oppression. Blood was coming out of the pores of his face. What did he do? He picked up his cross, the call of God, and went down the road up to the mountain of God. Up to Mount Moriah. It's when you, may, when you stay in your calling that the anointing of God that's on you for that calling energizes you. If you sit on the sidelines to be restored, it's not going to happen unless God tells you to sit on the sideline. But you need to really listen to him about when to get back into the game. Because rarely does he have you sit for very long. Because he knows that you will sit, soak, and sour. He knows you've got to get back in the game, hit it again, get some yardage, feel his power on you again. You need an assignment from the Lord. And this is what he did with this depressed, hopeless, suicidal prophet. Now, Today, when we are in pre-service prayer, which I invite you to come to, if you're, if you're not on assignment here on Sunday mornings, come early, come right into this back room and pray for the service with us uh, so that God's presence can be thick in this place. And we're back here and Gary 
started to prophesy, Lord, restore people's hopes today. And I thought, that's the Lord. Then Heather, the worship leader, stands up and says, I have a word today for you. And did you notice, for those of you who were here for the beginning of worship, the whole word was about the restoration of hope. And it's the first point on my sermon. Now, God said to me today on the way down there, tell them I am going to open their ears. So hopefully you can hear what he just said. That he is here to restore your hope. But the truth is, he's the one that restores your hope. He's the source of it. So those of you that need that, we just open the open your hands. Just open them toward heaven. Lord, we don't want hype. And we don't want to live on principle alone. We want to live on your power. There are people here whose hearts are sick because their dreams have been deferred. I pray, Father. That you give a fresh word to restore and resurrect that dream in their heart. There are those here that are afraid to hope again. Not when God speaks. When God speaks to your heart, that whispering voice, all the secondary things disappear. It's just you and the voice of God. And the voice of God is pregnated with all the hope you need. Would you just say to the Lord this year, Lord God, right now, I am saying hearing your voice is my goal. It is my passion. Can you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Can you say that? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now, let's just wait for a moment. It may or may not happen in this instant, but it may. We have all year long, but let's just stop for a moment. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Now, just listen. Jesus, we want this church to be one big ear.
Oh, Lord, there are many that have run into the desert in this church. And you want to bring us, redirect us to the mountain of God to hear your voice. So we, Father, are saying, yes, we will follow you. And this Wednesday evening, as we set ourselves apart as a congregation to seek your face and fasting and prayer for 10 days, we are saying, speak. Speak clearly. I would say loudly, but your whisper is loud. And revitalize this people. Revitalize our hope and vision. You've promised, as the prophetic word just came out, that when we seek you with our whole hearts, we will find you. Now, because of my personality, I always want to see everything that God promises happen right now.